Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, this is episode 73. I want to give a quick thanks to everyone who's listening. The uh, podcast has been doing really well. It's been accelerating every week in the number of people downloading and listening, and I really appreciate that. I hope it's because people are spreading the word about the podcast and the newsletter, and uh, that would explain the traffic increases. But uh, anyway, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Going to start off with InfoSec this week. Uh, McAfee has discovered a nasty new Microsoft Word vulnerability. This is very recent. This is just uh, end of last week and this weekend. It's uh, being actively exploited. It's a um, word issue. So it's a uh, not macro-based. It's actually just uh, a flaw in Word itself. And evidently... They told Microsoft about it, and they've, they're have they already working on a fix. Patch Tuesday is actually this Tuesday, so I'm not sure if we're going to see a fa- uh, patch before Tuesday or on Tuesday, or hopefully on Tuesday and not after. But there's currently no fix, and disabling macros does not solve the problem. So it seems like the only solution is to not open one of these emails. And uh, basically what the malware does is it it uh, does the normal stuff. It installs software, uh, malware, that kind of thing. So pretty typical in terms of what it does, but it's not macro-based, which makes it different. And there's currently no fix. So there's a technique that I know a friend of mine at a large company uses, which is putting all external mail in spam and sort of just handpicking what mail you go and get if you're expecting it. Um, so that's that's one technique, pretty drastic, hard to do in a couple of days to architect something like that without major pushback from users. But there are some interesting ways to sort of deal with the fact that opening email is a problem. And it's a very common thing for people to want to do because that's what it's for. But anyway, this is a pretty nasty one. It's currently active, it is being exploited, and uh, you definitely want to keep an eye out if you run a network or interact with email security at all at your organization. There's a new type of IoT tack and associated botnet called Brickerbot, because of course it needs a name like that. It uh, instead, it's like Mirai, but instead of taking over the system, it, it just bricks the system. So if it has a, a particular type of software running on the system, it'll figure that out and go and destroy the storage system, basically. It bricks the device completely. It reminds me a lot of like Welchia and some of these air quote good guy worms, you know, white hat worms. And uh, in, in the sense that it's, seems like the the orientation or the purpose of this worm 
is to stop these insecure systems from being there. And, you know, sort of nuking them from orbit is one technique for that, but it's not very nice one. And uh, I've got a note here that basically says, uh, in the end, all these white hat worms ended up looking just like the black hat ones. They ended up just being worms. So if you uh, are worried your organization might have some of this stuff out there, you should definitely take it seriously because uh, they're playing for keeps with this one. And I uh, was talking to a buddy, uh, Josh Corman, over the weekend. And we we're talking about the implications to critical infrastructure, particularly medical. If, uh, you know, you have outages or people stealing things, that's one thing. But just completely destroying the device is, uh, is another thing altogether. And could be very serious for critical infrastructure, not just medical, but any type of infrastructure like that. So, again, if you have any of that type of system, um, any critical infrastructure you think might be exposed, should have already fixed it. Uh, obviously, been working on it previously, but this is another one that's uh, pretty nasty. Apple sent out update 10.3.1 for iOS devices on Friday due to a pretty nasty RCE bug in ImageIO framework, which is an image parser. And uh, basically you could send malformed uh, GIFs or GIFs, depending on how you want to pronounce that. I, I used to pronounce it GIF. I was convinced at one point many years ago that it was GIF, which I don't like as much. Sounds like a peanut butter to me, but um, Anyway, that, that's the flaw in this uh, iOS update that they pushed out uh, right in the middle of Friday. It was definitely unplanned. It was definitely a critical vuln that they had to fix. So uh, you definitely want to get all your iOS devices updated if you haven't already because uh, it's basically RCE based on a malformed uh, GIF image. So definitely do that if you haven't already. A Russian computer programmer named Pyotr Levishov has been arrested in Barcelona in conjunction with influence of the U.S. election. So this is evidently uh, a U.S.-led investigation that pulled the guy in and evidently related to the election last year and Russia. So things continue to uh, be popcorn-worthy on this front in kind of a sad way, but also exciting. It's hard to describe. China's APT10 group is being blamed for attacks against several MSPs in a campaign known as Cloudhopper. So the idea is that if you can get into an MSP, think of all the different, and this is a managed security uh, or services provider. Uh, so imagine if they control whatever, dozens of companies, you know, they manage them and you get into the MSP itself. Now you have access to all these systems and evidently the goal or the stated pish, uh, purpose or mission was basically to harvest information, uh, IP or whatever, customer data, personal data, whatever, obviously just valuable information, whatever form that comes in, but they're targeting MSPs, uh, centralized locations, which I think is smart. 
Tizen, which is Samsung's hope to replace Android as the core OS for most of their new mobile devices, is reportedly full of massive vulnerabilities. I think I talked about this last week as well. But this same guy, the same researcher, is just pointing it out again. I think he's at another set of conferences talking about it, just basically saying it's way behind, way behind Android, way behind other offerings. I think he said he found like 40 vulns and a lot of them he thought were exploitable. So more problems for Samsung on the security side, you know, fires and explosions to the side. Automated license plate readers, ALPRs. These technologies may be the most common mass surveillance technology used by law enforcement around the country according to the EFF, pretty informative link talks about like four different types of license plate reader. Pretty good read. Wanga, a UK based payday lender has told customers their credit card data may have been leaked in a breach and number of affected customers could be as high as 270,000. Researchers at Logarithm have released a report on oil rig, a malware campaign mostly targeted at critical infrastructure in the Middle East. It actually gives some pretty cool TTP details, including a layout of some of the front end architecture and uh, infrastructure used by the campaign. Hackers are emptying machines, uh, ATM machines in Russia and Europe by drilling a single hole into them, like a three inch hole and then connecting in a microcomputer, which you could build for like $15, you like touch the circuitry in some sort of way, and it just starts spitting out cash. Um, there is a defense where it realizes it's spitting out too much cash and it will reboot, but you just do it again. You don't have to drill again, you just do the connection again, and it keeps spitting out cash. And evidently the manufacturer is aware and they're working on it, but there's nothing they could do remotely. They kind of have to go and physically fix all the machines. So pretty interesting attack. Curious to see if um, this manufacturer is used in the US or if we start seeing similar attacks here. Survey of 2000 people in Britain revealed that most citizens are comfortable exchanging privacy for security. Only 18% said personal privacy is more important than companies being able to access the content of their messages. That's frightening. Only 18%, it's 20%. So, um, hmm. Well, it's not in the ideas section, so I, will, I won't go into it, but it uh, does seem troubling. It definitely seems to show the fact that Europeans are much more towards security, whereas the US is much more towards privacy. But it's not the case in privacy defense in a legal standpoint or in compliance standpoint, because they protect privacy a lot more. So it's like, it, it sounds like the, the big difference is that they're more willing to give up security for whatever type of uh, privacy or privacy. In, uh, in their lingo. Hackers in Dallas accessed the emergency siren system last weekend and set off the city's 156 sirens like over a dozen times. 
So evidently authorities already fixed the issue that gave them the access, but uh, they're not telling us what it actually was. And I'm guessing that's because a lot of other cities probably have the same problem and they don't want to see copy copycat attacks. So interesting. Uh, I think there's implications here for safety overall because it's like crying wolf, right? If you could make a siren system ineffectual, you'd have to do it a lot to get that sort of like dullness in your senses. But it also overwhelmed the 911 system because there were like 4,000 calls to it. And they went from like a 10 second response time to like a three minute response time, which is really not cool. So safety implications to InfoSec or cyber, right? Um, see here. McAfee, after getting bought by Intel, changed its name to Intel Security. It's now changed it back to McAfee. And HP Fortify is actually doing a lot of Fortify branding lately as well. I've seen that at a couple conferences. And it seems like the trend is <clears throat> if you had this great name and it gets gobbled up by, you know, Big Corp, after a period of time, Big Corp kills the company in, in whatever way, neuters it. And then they start saying, well, you know, there's only one solution here. Um, the reason we were popular is because of our name and we need to be our name again. And not realizing, or maybe they do realize that it's not about the name, it's about the freedom that you had to, to actually implement ideas, to innovate, to attract talent, to be creative and to be nimble. So you didn't just lose your name when you went to Big Corp, you lost your agility. So I'm not sure the name is gonna fix the solution unless you can fix the agility at the same time and basically make the case that you just need to be a lot more autonomous and fast in, in how you execute ideas. So good luck to both companies on that. WikiLeaks released information on a CIA, CIA Windows hacking tool called Grasshopper, supposedly used to make custom malware payloads. Keep in mind that WikiLeaks is nearly indistinguishable from the RT network at this point though. So grain of salt, as it were. The Shadow Brokers Group have released the password to more content, which was accompanied by a very strange political communication addressed to basically written to Trump. It's, it's basically written to him like an unhappy fan. Like, hey, I follow you everywhere. You know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing, you know, you need to start singing the songs that, you know, we, we made you popular. You need to sing the songs that we, that got you there, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what this thing sounded like. Sound like a fan letter uh, telling that their favorite, you know, rock star that they sold out or something. It kind of rambled on. It was very long. It was a uh, very strange English. It, it was, it was really weird, but uh, I put the link there in case you want to read it. I'm not sure what to think of it. I'm not sure if it's fake. I'm not sure if the people are crazy. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I'm kind of waiting for the Gruck to 
write a piece on it and explain it to the world. He's so good at doing that when it comes to international sort of uh, intelligence type stuff. Technology news, or actually one more in security news. Teaching hospitals have evidently been hacked quite a bit more than non-teaching hospitals, which makes sense to me because I think it's a combination of two different very vulnerable types. I, I talked about this a while back where if you, if you have a vulnerable type of organization where there's low security and high criticality, it's it's a bad situation. You likely get hacked. You This is who you're seeing ransomware in a lot of these companies, right? Or organizations. Well, this one is a teaching hospital. So it's got this bad education DNA and it's a medical organization, which also has the bad um, security DNA and, and incentive system and everything. So it's like they have it both. They have both forms of this bad uh, mojo when it comes to securing things. And they're both uh, very um, critical, right? They're both important, so especially because it's a hospital, so. Yeah, interesting. Combination of both of them seems to be making it worse. Technology news. IBM's Watson project was used this weekend to determine which shots to show fans during the uh, Masters golf tournament. This is super cool. So it basically used a combination of crowd noise vocabulary choice and comments from analysts and other factors. So if someone said nice, the, you know, the shot goes in or whatever. And, and, the, and the guy's like, Oh, nice. That was a nice shot. They ranked that lower than someone saying, Oh, that was spectacular. And they're rating the, the, the vibrancy and, and volume of the crowd response to the shot. And then they're, using that algorithm to determine what clips to show, what to put on TV, what to put on social media, whatever. So super cool. I, this is the type of thing I, I had in the book. This is the type of thing I'm writing about all the time. Machine learning will just take over everything. It's going to make all these decisions for us, or most of them, as soon as we could figure out how to train it correctly and use it. Because, um, there's just so much data out there that we could be using that we cannot process as humans. So I thought this was a super cool application of it. Scientists in the UK have found a new way to use graphene filters to remove the salt from seawater. Could be a major discovery since millions of people have access to oceans, but not fresh water. Uber has bigger issues than being kicked out of Austin because it's now been banned from all of Italy as well due to anti-competitive practices. Apple is moving to building its own graphics processors, which was not good news for Imagination Technologies who basically saw their stock completely tank when this news was announced. Feel bad for them. A company called Chirp is looking to use sound to have computers transfer data and communicate to each other. Just woke up Alexa. Um, I've seen similar systems in the past, actually, 
at different conferences where they're like, oh, we use ultrasonic sound or whatever. And I, I said, well, how do you re prevent replay attacks? You know, what is your, how do you authenticate both sides and all this sort of stuff? And they're like, I don't think you understand. It's, it's ultrasonic, right? You can't even hear it. See, they're talking right now and you can't even hear it. I'm like, that's a non sequitur. You're not even answering my question. Like, how are they communicating? You know what? Let me have you talk to one of our engineers. That's, that's when you know it's time to walk away <clears throat> and blog about it or whatever. Anyway, I'm excited about the technologies. I, I'm just a little bit skeptical. I, I've never seen a company say that they're taking it very seriously and they've, you know, come up with a system or they're using an existing system and they put it under peer review. I always hear that it's ultrasonic and who would even mess with that? So hopefully it goes better for them. YouTube is now going to block ads on any channel with less than 10,000 views across all their videos. This will be done to help reduce the incidence of company brands being seen next to and associated with unprofessional content such as porn or hate speech or whatever. So this is a massive issue for YouTube right now. They're basically, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the pairings are, but you'll have like, I don't know, some big corp name like Acme, Acme Corp. And then right next to it will be some random idiot uh, saying something racist. And then a third person will come in, see the ad with Acme. And they're like, oh, I love Acme, but I've got this racist thing over here. And it just creates this association that really hurts the brand. So this is uh, YouTube's approach. One of YouTube's approaches to uh, diminishing the chances of this happening by requiring people to be more established. I guess that's what they're doing. You have to have more views. You have to be more legitimate before you can start showing ads. <clears throat> um, it's also massively reducing the number of videos that actually need to be uh, scrutinized before you police ads. Because if you drop this down, if you, if you set this as a standard, you can do a lot more, a lot higher percentage of human review because this is cutting out a massive number of channels. Facebook Messenger now has an AI assistant present that can make recommendations based on what it sees in the conversation. And this is being touted as beating Apple to the punch, which I think they definitely have in a lot of ways, but this is another one. But evidently, if you're asking questions or you're communicating, I'm not sure exactly the functionality yet. I haven't messed with it. But it seems like what it would obviously do is, you know, you're talking about, oh, we're going to meet at Fisherman's Wharf or whatever. And it's like, oh, boom, here's a map link or something. Again, I'm guessing, but that's very cool type of functionality. So it's not just a chat bot that's doing like text matching, but it's trying to figure out what you probably wanted it to do right? What you would have wanted it to do if you did tell it to do something, which is the whole point of AI. So very cool. I'd love to mess with it. I just don't want to go on Facebook. So kind of a win-lose there. Google is seeking general AI 
by building a new system that has memory. Not, not memory, but a memory, right? Important distinction. So you have to be able to learn things in succession and then refer to them, you know, in the past, those other things that you learned so you can advance your knowledge. And this is what they've known for a while, but it's been hard to build. And now they're approach, trying to do general AI by um, giving it a memory, giving this new system a memory. So really exciting stuff. Um, just as a quick primer, general AI is something where it's not purpose-built. It could just learn anything it's exposed to. Um, so theoretically, you could just set a general AI pointed at like Wikipedia, whatever, and it could just go figure out the world. This is the type of AI that most people agree is very far away. Whereas obviously we have these tightly focused other types of AI, which are already really good, but only do at doing, you know, a very limited narrow thing. So that's the big distinction, which they're hoping to be able to push through with this adding of memory, <clears throat> a memory to an AI system. AT&T has won a $6.5 billion contract <clears throat> to build a nationwide emergency services network called FirstNet. Network will service police, fire, and emergency medical services. Verizon now owns Yahoo and AOL. That's a weird sentence. And they are merging them into a new company called Oath. Interesting. There's a Merciful Fate album called Don't Break the Oath. I don't know why I thought of that just now, but I did. Facebook Live is taking off with one out of five videos now using the live format. I need to go mess with that. Same with the Instagram one. I think I'm going to start messing with doing a couple tiny little clips, just make it a comment on random things or whatever, just to mess with the format. Stats Counter says Android has passed Windows as the most used operating system for internet browsing and it beat it out by like some small percent of a percent or whatever, but uh, still very significant. Um, changing of the guard, Android has passed Andro uh, Windows in internet traffic. Inevitable, but interesting. Tesla has passed Ford in market cap. Definitely a strange world. Apple says completely new Mac Pros are being worked on for release in 2018, maybe 2019. No one knows for sure. They didn't say 2018. I, I kind of added that. It's not going to be 2017. So it might be 2018 or 2019. They say they'll be extremely powerful. They'll have a modular design that allows for, you know, fast and crisp, clean upgrades of individual components. And there will be a new Apple made monitor as well, which made a lot of people upset because they went and bought LG monitors after they said they weren't making monitors anymore. And now they're taking hammers to them because Apple's about to make a new one. But uh, yeah, still very interesting. Basically uh, new Mac pros, they listened to all the uh, crap that they were getting about not respecting the Mac and the Mac pros and, and the power users. 
and they're going to do something about it, which I'm happy about. AWS is creating a new region. This one is in Sweden and it'll roll out in 2018. Western Union now supports transfers within its iOS app using Apple Pay. I think this is great news, except for it's still Western Union, which means it's bad news. So that means the company's still alive. I shouldn't be mean like that, but I've just never had good experience with it. I feel like it should be a voice command and not 95 pages of paperwork through a glass window. Uh, the company that owns Adblock Plus has purchased Flatter, F-L-A-T-T-R. Flatter is one of the coolest ideas I've ever seen for online publishing. I was into it, I don't know, five, ten years ago, whenever that was. It was, you basically have a Flatter button, right? And you put money into it every month. So let's say you put $10 in. And then let's say I, I Flatter 10 pages, well, it's divided up, so each page gets a dollar, right? And if I, I did 100, then each page would get 10 cents. So it's like you just put in how much, like, karma um, in the form of actual currency you want to give to various groups uh, when you like their content. And it, it's a form of micropayment infrastructure, right? And everyone's looking for how are we going to do micropayments. And this was a very early attempt to do it. And uh, this Adblock, Adblock Plus company, which is interesting, right? Because they hit ads. And Flatter is definitely not ads. It's an alternative way to, to pay for content. It's a, it's a microtransaction structure. So that's why this um, combination works well. I, th I think it's really cool. I hope it goes well. I would love to do something like Flatter on my site if, if, uh, if it ever took off. I would love to see it on everyone else's site. Right now I've got subscriptions to like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and a couple of others. And subscriptions are better than paywalls. Um, well, they're better than ads. They're better than, you know, whatever. A lot of other ad technology, but still not as cool as a really clean, like Apple Pay style micropayment structure, or even better, a transparent one like Flatter, where you're just kind of instantly distributing your value based on your clicks. One problem with it though, is malware that clicks on your behalf. Basically, click fraud gets a lot nastier if that's money being spent on every click, right? Because attribution becomes very important then. So it's like other parts of the industry, other parts of defense and infosec and ad fraud and all these, all these pieces have to improve, I think, before we get to a true click-based micropayment system. Same with like voting. Um, but anyway, it, it's a cool concept. I'm glad Adblock Plus and Flatter are part of the same group now. And I look forward to see what happens with that. All right, human news. Gray hair has been linked to a risk of heart disease in a new study by Cairo University. Evidently, the more gray it is, like if it's like that super white, 
it's evidently really bad. And this is not age related. So this is like, if you're 60 and you have this much gray hair or you're 40 and you have this much gray hair, either way, it's the, the amount of gray hair matters is what they're saying. So get the link there if you wanna read it, but that was my takeaway. Found it pretty interesting. Uh, more than half of 25 to 34 year olds are single today. And in 1980, over two thirds of that same demographic was married. So we went from over two thirds to less than half being married. And in a span of what is that, uh, 40 years. Really interesting. 23andMe has won approval to give health warnings as part of their DNA analysis service. So they were doing this initially. They were like, hey, you might have whatever, three elbows or, you know, some sort of mutation that could cause issues. And uh, the FD, uh, FDA came down and said, no, you cannot do that. It's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you can't make claims on like a nutrition label that you're going to solve something or whatever. Well, this is similar. They, they were told that they could not warn people about health things because the science wasn't strong enough. So evidently for the last several years, they've been going through this massive, I don't know what it was, review or legal battle or whatever it was, but they've just now been given approval to tell people what they think they uh, could be at risk of getting as a result of the analysis, which I think is great. I think more people should use these services. I'm going to do my full genome as soon as I find a good provider. If someone cool who is listening, who knows a good provider, would let me know, I'd be much appreciative because uh, I definitely would do that. I am waiting for the price to fall. It used to be like $1,000, but I'm hoping that once it gets into like 200, 300, 400, then I'm going to jump on it as soon as I find a good company. Uh, scientists at the Riken MIT Center for Neurocircuit Genetics appear to have found how memories are created. They're basically indicating that two copies of a memory are created initially when a memory forms. One is for current use and one is for long-term use. And <clears throat> the article actually talked about this really interesting study where they somehow separated two parts of the brain because the two memories are formed in two different parts of the brain. And what they did is they actually separated two parts of the brain. They killed off the memory or suppressed it in one part and the person completely forgot it. And they basically they killed the current use one, the current existing uh, memory that was immediately accessible. They zapped it and basically made it inert so they couldn't recall it. And um, this is all, all done in mice, by the way, but they basically said that it, it correlates really well with humans um, is the belief. But what happened was this mouse had uh, remembered being shocked and they could tell if it remembers being shocked because it behaves radically differently. Um, but they zapped this part of the brain and the mouse completely forgot having been shocked. And then they zapped this other part of the brain 
the long-term one and they activated the long-term memory and then it remembered again being shocked. So that's how they, it was like a really ingenious experiment that was done to notice the breaking apart, the individual separation of the generation of the two different memories, the separation of the two, the killing off of one, the activation of the second one. So really smart experimentation. I'm reading a book called Gene right now, all about genetics. And it's going through the entire history of Mendel, Darwin, and uh, learning a lot about experimentation and kind of the, the really fascinating ways you can come up with even non-technical ways, just smart ideas on how to do an experiment. And this, and this one here with the two memories is a really good example of that. Scientists injected mice with fecal matter from humans who have irritable bowel syndrome and an anxiety. And it produced irritable bowel syndrome and anxiety in the mice. Think about that. So there's a whole branch of science right now. That may, may be a branch too strong the whole area of science that's super excited about gut biomes. And I mean, it's poo. Let's just be honest about that, right? It's, um, I forget what they call it. I forget what the nice term is. We're just going to call, call it poo because poo is funny. And um, we're all adults here, so we can say poo. Um, but anyway, you... The idea is that there's a lot more going on in the stomach than people thought about before. People thought, well, you have your brain, you have your depression, you have your anxiety issues, you have mental problems, and then you have your stomach. And your stomach is for digestion. They're completely separate. And what we're finding out is no. It could be that obesity, anxiety, depression, all sorts of stuff could be tied uh, in the because of the biome, right? And the idea is that there's just so many billions or maybe I think it's trillions, trillions of bacteria in there of like all these different types. And what they notice is that the biomes of healthy people, you know, thin, decent, you know, normal sized people with normal temperaments <clears throat> is vastly different from those of obese, um, depressed, whatever. And I'm not saying those are linked, right? I'm not like into the science hundred percent or anything, but, um, those are some of the correlations that are being made. So that's the branch of science. That's really exciting here. And, uh, this is another line of experimentation along those lines. And it looks like it worked dramatically in this case. So basically IBS and anxiety transferred through, you know, gut matter um, and transferring the symptoms directly into the, the receiving mouse. It's insane. Um, let's see here. Um, a depressing look at how every attempt to improve academia through incentives actually makes it worse. Yeah, this link is scary. 
for anyone who's a professor or whatever, my buddy Carl probably loved to check it out. Basically says that the way that academics are set up to get you to do things like write research and, you know, give talks or whatever, they all produce really bad behaviors, negative, harmful, you know, acerbic sort of behaviors that are um, not good for the organization, not good for the public, not good for the university, not good for the professor, not good for anyone. And uh, it sort of lays it out, lays out all the different incentives and what actually ends up happening as externalities of the incentive. Um, definitely worth checking out. Uh, much of the world has switched from seeing China as the world's economic powerhouse to seeing the U.S. in that role instead. This one was really surprising to me, but as an American, maybe I'm just disconnected, but I thought everyone already thought us of the U.S. as still on the top and that China was rising to take us over soon. That, that, that's what I thought the narrative was. Evidently, the last five or 10 years, people have thought China has passed us, and now they think the U.S. is rising um, and has passed China. Fascinating. And, you know, it's got some, uh, got some charts there. I, I think this might have been Pew. I can't remember what the link is. Actually, let me check real quick. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say. I think it's Pew Poll that says this, but definitely worth a read. Uh, quality exploration of how tech platforms are changing journalism. This is like the longest article I've ever read recent times. It was like 25,000 words. It's longer than my book. I can't remember. Oh, my book was, I think, 18,000 words. This article was 25,000 words. Um, but it was really good. It talks about basically how you can't be a journalist anymore, a journalist organization, without thinking about Facebook and Google and Twitter. Not just as marketing mechanisms, but as changing the fundamental structure of what you do to tell a story because all the mediums massively matter. So it was really good. Um, I recommend maybe skimming it because it, it did get uh, a little bit long and in depth, but it was very cool. And Taser has rebranded and is now offering body cameras to any police department. I think this is a really good PR. I, um, I don't know how Taser is doing relative to other groups, but I know they probably took a lot of heat when uh, the police were kind of uh, under attack in the media recently. Although that's been very quiet since uh, Trump took over. But um, yeah, this is interesting, basically bundling cameras with anyone who buys tasers. And now on to ideas. Did an essay on the power of reading. I think we are going to be way short on time, so I'm not going to, I was actually going to read this essay, but I recommend you just go and, and do that. It's very short. Uh, it basically just talks about how 
I've changed my mind to thinking of reading as like a superpower at this point. I, I read so much. I feel like I'm getting a thousand times smarter than I used to be. And I just see so many advantages here. And this, this essay is basically just about some of those advantages and why I recommend it for others. Some thoughts on dataism, which is a, a post-humanist philosophy proposed by the author of Homo Deus, this book I've been, well, I just finished actually. And uh, I just did some capturing of the tenets, uh, basically described what it is and uh, talked about it a little bit. Talked about how I disagree a little bit with what he was saying about it, but in general, I thought it was really cool. Also did a post yesterday on AR glasses and language translation. So I think that if and when Google launches its AR glasses, one of the first feature sets is going to be real-time language translation. And I think it's going to be both auditory and, and textual with subtitles. And I think the reason for this is that basically all the technologies that are required to be able to do it well are just now getting to the maturity level they need to be at for it to work. And it's also just kind of a universal, just killer feature, especially for people in really big cities, which is where most people are moving. So I think this is, uh, as I talked about in my book, like people want things that give them superpowers. And this is one that gives you superpowers. You could basically be in a room and I imagine, you know, a, a number of directional cameras, you know, people are speaking a foreign language around you. Are they talking about you? What are they saying? Right. Um, you're listening to a foreign language broadcast. You have subtitles for what's being said. And there's so many techniques that you can use to do this. You can have machine learning, reading lips. If you're talking to the person, you can have edge-based machine learning. You could be going up to the cloud and doing live translation. Although there could be some latency issues there, but there's just so many ways to that we're already getting good at doing that it's just a combination problem, a, a UI, UX problem, which are exactly the types of problems that I'm sure Apple is working on for, for their first AR glasses. So it's just a prediction. Uh, obviously, it could be wrong there, but that's what that one was about. Pythagoras's theory on how parents make children. So this is from that book, The Gene, which I told you about, all about genetics. Absolutely fascinating. Learned way too much about eugenics, which was frightening since kind of a lot of that stuff is coming back alive now with the CRISPR stuff, but hopefully in a more benign form. But uh, yeah, this was a tiny little clip that the author said where basically Pythagoras had a theory on heredity as well. And, and it's like, this is a perfect example of once you have an idea, especially if it's a big idea, like it's your hammer and everything becomes a nail, right? So they're like, hey, triangle guy, um, tell me about heredity. And he's like, oh, simple. Um, one parent is A. The other parent is B and the child is 
the hypotenuse dot. The child is the C. So A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You're so awesome. And it is awesome. It sounds, it makes a lot of sense to me. Like it doesn't mean anything genetically. Like you can't be tested, you know, in the womb for hypotenuse or whatever, but it's still, uh, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was a really cool, really cool way to describe an, an intimate interlocked relationship between parent and child. Uh, DNS hygiene, Wing Chun and poop. Goodness. Oh, this is me rambling uh, on Twitter. Let's see if I have it somewhere. Oh, yeah. Um, I was debating with someone on uh, on Slack, actually. And uh, <clears throat> he was talking about how awesome th threat intelligence was and how he disagreed with me that it wasn't important for a lot of companies or whatever. And I said, no patches, no asset management, no egress control. No DNS hygiene, no logging, no incident response. To these companies, threat intelligence is a sparkly turd. I doubt we're disagreeing. Like I said, what you're talking about is super badass, but three-month-olds don't need Wing Chun. They need to stop shitting on themselves. And that was my comment <clears throat> to him about that. And I shared it on Twitter and a bunch of people uh, liked it, I, I guess, because they probably had the same idea themselves. Um, I also wrote a post a while back about uh, whatever, what I dislike about threat intelligence. And it was basically this exact point, you know, fixing your hair while you have a sucking chest wound, that, that kind of a analogy. And this is yet another one of those. A uh, few thoughts on creativity and age. This one I just wrote. I was reading. I was doing the research for the podcast and uh, saw this New York Times article, and there's like this 94 year old who came up with this awesome physics uh, discovery around lithium batteries, actually, which hopefully turns into a big deal. And uh, <clears throat> the article was basically saying, "Hey, look." You know, for some people, you get more creative as you get older instead of getting less creative. And I wrote a post just now about <clears throat> how I think it's much less about age and more about lifestyle. And because lifestyle changes with age, usually at around 30 or 40, uh, usually because of traditional, you know, lifestyle choices like children and family and marriage that basically your lifestyle changes you turn into a parent you turn into a parent it's not a function of having it's not just having a kid it's that being your identity when that turns into your identity you transition away from being a creator in a fundamental sort of dna type of way and i think that's what kills most people's innovation and creativity is that they, they just, they flip a switch and they're like, Hey, look, I'm worried about college tuitions. I'm worried about, you know, raising successful kids. I want them to be happy. And their work is no longer about their passion and their, their desire to make a change in the world. Their work becomes about, 
advancing so they can have more money so they can send their kids to better colleges. So I, I think that lifestyle really matters. And if you build a lifestyle and you could do it when you have kids as well, a lot of people stay creative when they're kids or when they have kids and become parents, you know, they have nannies, they have family, they, they do whatever. They make a very clear time between their time and family time or, or children time or whatever. So it's possible to manufacture that. But um, yeah, I, I don't see this as an age problem. I see it as a lifestyle problem, which just happens to be correlated with age. So that's what that was about. Uh, this next one was called Adjacent Possibilities, which I also just wrote. Had a conversation with Josh Corman, I think I mentioned earlier this weekend. And Josh is a guy, <laughs> when he talks, he comes up with these craziest little like word nuggets. Like he'll just be like, whatever, you know, I let's not push the string here or whatever. It's actually someone else's. I've never heard Josh say that one, but it's the type of thing he would say, you know, like push the string. Yeah. You wouldn't push a string because it wouldn't actually work. Man, that makes a lot of sense. It, the whole time he's talking, like you wish you could take notes to like remember some of these things so you could use them. And he's got like 947 of these things like stored in his brain. And when he hears one, he could use it, right? And when he gets into a conversation, he'll just, he'll go on for whatever, 15 minutes on this sort of diatribe, but he's weaving in like a story from here, a story from there, this little wisdom nugget over here and blah, blah, blah. So we're having this conversation. And he's like, yeah, so yeah, I came across this concept and whenever I hear it, you know, I know the person's really smart or whatever. And I'm like, oh crap, here it comes. This is going to be cool. And he's like, yeah, it's called an adjacent possible. So basically instead of, you know, as a thought leader, trying to pull these people and get them to like some distant ideal, right? And instead of taking them and, and saying, you know, here's the future. Let, let's get you there. We need to be cognizant of the fact that you're talking to 12 different organizations. They all have different challenges, different problems, and different ways they can get to an ideal. Some people, it's going to take three years. Some people, it's going to take 20. Some people can't get there at all. Some people are already there. But what you can do is say, okay, here's where we want to go as an industry or whatever. And for each of us, we need to figure out what you're what your adjacent possible is. This is the thing that you can do soon, tomorrow, next week, this year, or whatever. And it's possible because of what your DNA is. It's possible because of what your organization structure is, your incentive structure, your budget, the industry that you're in. For you, you can only go here and let's work on that. For you over here, that's a different organization. You're able to do this one. And that's different. So it's like when you talk to groups like this and you're trying to influence them and help them, basically don't think about what is the 12-step ideal. Think more about what is the adjacent possible for that particular group that you're trying to help. And I'm like, well, that's cool. It's also a cool name. Um, I actually Googled it and it got like a completely different answer. Like it was... I don't know, some philo philosophical like physics thing or something. I can't remember what it was, but um, 
anyway, I'm not sure where he got the, the term adjacent possible. Uh, he said he heard it from someone, but anyway, I thought it was a really cool nugget. Perfect example of like a Joshism, which, uh, if you haven't talked to the guy, you definitely should. He's super smart. Um, Apple is looking to use facial recognition research to read what are called micro emotions. I find this super interesting. It reminds me of the Enigma talk I just saw in January, which I posted one or two podcasts ago about determining preferences by parsing bio data. And basically, I want to say her name was Tamara, and she's from like University of Washington, I think. Um, but she was studying that if you could read bio data off of someone while you're exposing them to things, you could see fluctuations in their responses that they would not understand that they are giving. And using machine learning and other, you know, really advanced analyses, um, you, you could actually extract their preferences for really sensitive things. You could find out if, if they're racist, you could find out if they're gay, you could find out what like political leanings they have and or what shows they like to watch or their favorite foods or whatever. And if you're controlling inputs to them, right? If you're controlling, goodness, that's rude. Um, if you're controlling the inputs, like what ads you're showing them or you're trying to manipulate them so you can say the things that you know will resonate with them because you're reading their micro emotions or whatever. This is how this stuff is going to be used, like without question, okay? The way it's going to be used for someone like Apple initially, on the good side, of course, is um, they're going to look at your face and when you want to do something and the machine is confused because there's 13 different things that you could be wanting to do at this exact, you know, millisecond. Well, it's going to read your face and be able to narrow it down to four or something like that. I'm making this up, but that's what they're going to do. They're going to be like, oh, because he's annoyed, he probably wants this subset. Oh, and I just saw this new micro emotion just flash across the face. These are things that flash across the face in like tiny, tiny amounts of time. Humans could barely even register, right? But this thing's going to be looking at your face all the time. And imagine more cameras. Okay, and this goes back to my previous concept about AI and machine learning, or cameras and image sensors and machine learning. Things are watching you all the time. They're seeing micro movements, micro gestures, micro facial expressions. They're, they're extracting intent. They're predicting the next future, right? So um, th this is fascinating stuff. And it looks like, I think they just bought this company. It's like a Motient or something. And I think this is the tech that they're putting into the facial recognition into iPhone 8. Um, so maybe in addition to unlocking your phone, I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to do. Maybe it could be like, so here's another example. Um, maybe like a Snapchat filter where when you're looking at your Apple device, it can be emoting. Um, it could be doing a text layout or readout of what you're feeling or imagine the other person being recommended things to say based on what 
the device knows the other person is feeling. So it's like, hey, this person's a little bit sad. You should cheer them up. Well, it doesn't look sad to me. Well, yeah, I know. Trust me, cheer them up. So anyway, I think the stuff is super exciting. Um, not necessarily the implementation. No idea if it's going to be in, you know, the iPhone uh, 8 or whatever. But the technology in general and the research behind it, right? This link has the original research. This is deep research that's been going on for quite some time. And I think the main person for the company was a student of the person who did the original research. So super cool stuff. Um, next one, SEM and logging systems need to be protected carefully. So there was an article basically saying attackers are going to come after your SEM because the SEM is where all the data is and it's not protected. Absolutely true. I mean, but there's other cases like that. Logging systems are like that. Um, accounting systems are like that. Legal systems are like that. I mean, there are a lot of things. Any, any place where you're collecting lots of stuff together, the most sensitive stuff together. Another one I've seen that's really bad is um, pen testing systems where you have to port scan or vulnerability scan or, you know, run automated uh, pen test, whatever, whatever that means. Um, across a large organization, they're like, hey, we need admin for all these things. Uh, we need to be able to log in services. Oh, that's the other one. Like agents, right? That need to be able to log in and do different things. You find those accounts, it gets really nasty really fast. Um, and I feel like it falls like into that same bucket. It's almost like you could reverse engineer what a healthy infrastructure would look like. The ability to scan, the ability to centrally log the ability to look at centralized events of everything coming in, you go find those choke points. It's just like the Chinese APT group hacking MSPs. Same concept. All right. Discovery. I think we're like nine hours and 45 minutes into this podcast right now. So hopefully we'll cut off before 10 hours. Um, all right. Really cool A16Z podcast episode on whether the web is more or less open than it was in the early 2000s. This is with uh, one of my favorite analysts, Benedict Evans, and uh, it might have been Chris Dixon, and I, I don't remember the other folks. There was a couple other people. Um, if you're not heard already, Hack5 has come out with a new pen testing tool called the Bash Bunny. It's like the sickest physical pen testing device ever. It's a little USB stick that proxies like tons of protocols. So you basically put it in, it fakes being like all these different protocols. The computer talks to it, it captures credentials. I'm gonna have to unplug this thing when I do podcasts. Crazy. Um, but anyway, super sick. I've, I've got one already. And uh, if you do any physical pen, you definitely wanna get one of these devices. Uh, I've done some significant updates on my reading project page where I do a summary and lessons learned capture of my favorite books. I'm actually still adding a bunch now. Got a bunch of open tabs for doing this. I'll probably work on it after this actually. Um, but 
check out slash projects slash reading if you want to see any of the stuff that I've read um, or summaries. If you don't want to read the books, right? I've got a, another thing where I recommend some books, but if you don't want to read them and you just want to capture some of the wisdom out of them, uh, not as good as reading it and reading the summary. I recommend reading it and then reading the summary. But anyway, if you're pushed for time and you just want to read the summary, then then I've, I've got quite a few books up there. And I'm going to try to keep them uh, updated. Uh, my buddy Craig Smith has a hacking tools capture page, which is got a lot of stuff on it. I got the link there. One of the coolest demonstrations of the physics of relative motion that I've ever seen. I don't even want to tell you about this thing. It's like the coolest video. You have to go check this out. It's by Mythbusters. That should tell you everything you need to know. Uh, I got a link here, building your own text editor. It's freaking hardcore. It's um, C++. So that's hardcore squared. Uh, malware analysis, cheats and tools list. This is a fantastic resource I just looked at. Uh, and some tools. Firmwalker, my buddy Craig's tool for evaluating security of firmware. Looks for secrets, bad certs, bad hombres. Looks for those as well. And lots of other stuff. It's a great tool. I use this for looking at firmware, just looking for obvious bad stuff. Pentestly, a combination of expanding Python tools. Uh, expanding Python tools? What does that even mean? Wish I could have that back. A combination of Python tools designated for use in penetration tests. Looks pretty promising. I have the tab open. APT2, open source multi-threaded automated toolkit for stringing together Nmap, Metasploit, and many other tools to automate the testing process. I feel like everyone in security has written like seven of these things. I know I have, um, but this one looks pretty promising. It's the list of tools that are kind of integrated in. The idea is you just click a few options, give it a target. It goes out, does the Nmap scanning. It does an Nmap parse. It decides what to target with Metasploit. It goes and attacks with Metasploit, pulls credentials, breaks credentials, gives you output. That, that's what the tool is designed to do. It's called APT2. I have the tab open. I'm going to be messing with it. Looks pretty cool. Um, next one, AI engine. Next generation interactive program, programmable packet inspection engine with capabilities of learning, this machine learning, learning well without any human intervention. And it's like network intrusion detection, DNS, forensics, that kind of stuff. Sounds pretty cool. RaiderSec, automated OSINT harvesting using APIs. You had me at OSINT. All right, notes. It's now Wednesday, so it's getting late. Um, notes. I've done a ton of digital cleanup over the last week. Uh, or so, last two weeks, actually. Completely moved off of Dyn, gotten off of Linode, and I moved the site to AWS. Super excited about that. Um, rather blown away by the platform. Like, I used it pretty early on 
stood up some boxes, messed with them, wasn't overly impressed, and I stayed with Linode. And I've been with Linode for just years and years. Um, but now it's just so vastly superior to everything else out there. DigitalOcean, Linode, like I've used most of them. And uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be posting a lot about stuff that I'm doing with AWS because I'm kind of like using all the options because like so many of my customers are on AWS. And uh, I've just wanted to convert for a while. A while. And uh, yeah, I finally made the switch and uh, couldn't be happier. Really enjoying it. Uh, oh, I've taken to listening to books and podcasts at between 1.5 and 2.5 speed. It's a massive improvement, I tell you, to listening to any content. Like I was just listening to myself when I was speaking earlier. And I'm like, man, I wish I had this at 2.5%. I wish I could just speak it at 2.5% um, or 2.5x. It would be a massive improvement. So I recommend that for my podcast and for anyone else's. Just turn that thing up. Turn it up to 1.5. Get used to it. Then put it at like 2. At 2.5, depending on how fast the person talks normally, that could be a little bit too fast, especially for books in dense books, but um, definitely go to 1.5 on a podcast. Try it on my podcast next time because we're already almost done. But um, yeah, I saw a major improvement with it. Uh, I have finished Homo Deus and I'm now reading The Gene. I already mentioned that earlier. So um, yeah, I should have a summary up for Homo Deus soon. I ended up loving the book starting at chapter eight. It just became fantastic. I already loved it before. I already loved the previous chapters. It was already one of my favorites, but starting in chapter eight, which was part three, it was basically talking about the future of, of humans. And it just got just so much better than it was. And it was already great. So can't recommend that book enough. It's on top of my list of recommendations or close to the top. Uh, happiness is a beautiful Vim config. And I've got a link here to my latest Vim config. And uh, yeah, I'm using Solarize theme. I'm using Vim Airline. And uh, I'm using Vim 8X with na native plugins. And man, I am loving Vim like so much. Like I, I love logging in and messing around and editing files. Like it's just, I don't know super dorky, but I, I just love it. Good Vim is, is good life. Uh, my AWS bill, I just added this line right before I got on because I looked at the bill. It was scary. It's going to be like 250 bucks a month. This is one box, right? It's four virtual CPUs and like 7.5 gigs of RAM. It's an X large is the size of the instance. And I'm getting murdered on the cost. Um, I'm happy to eat $100 or $200 or, you know, $100 uh, for a box for my main website. But um, when normal Linodes are like 20 bucks, you know, I can get a decent Linode for 20 30 bucks. Being at 250 not okay. So I'm going to have to downgrade this box. If anyone has any ideas about, like, 
keeping the performance high. I'm behind Cloudflare, so that's going to be a good thing, right? Because they're eating most of my incoming requests and, you know, serving from cache. So I'm hoping that when I downgrade to a smaller box, it's not going to kill me on bandwidth speed. It's not going to kill me on IO, you know, that kind of stuff. So we'll see. But anyone has any recommendations uh, and, you know, knows AWS really well, let me know. And uh, yeah, recommendation section. I've created a VPN recommendations post. So, so many people have been talking about VPNs as a result of the FCC protections for ISPs selling your data, um, kind of being killed off by the new administration. So a lot of people have been freaking about, oh, where do I get a VPN? What VPN should I use? And there've been numerous posts about it and the posts about those posts. So I went and wrote a resource, a um, short little uh, post basically recommending, I think five. So I, I spent like two or three hours and I looked at like all the other uh, meta posts. I looked at the EFF site. I looked at this massive collection of ratings across like five or I don't know, like seven different areas. And I picked like the top four or five VPN providers. And I, I put them in the list and I actually have a personal recommendation at the end, which is um, Molvad, um, I, IVPN or IPVPN, something like that. Uh, you can check the link. And then the other one is uh, my buddy, Dan Tentler, who's um, Vis on Twitter, has a service called Zipline and it's IPsec based. So basically I have a recommendation for OpenVPN TLS VPN, and then I have a recommendation, which is Zipline for IPsec VPN, which is my buddy service, uh, Dan Tentler, who's super cool, very security oriented. It's a super fast VPN. And I'm not being paid to say any of that. He's just a buddy of mine and I think it's a cool service. And then the other one that I also recommend is um, either Molvad or IVPN because they rated the highest. So um, yeah, I got that resource up there, um, which you could use and you could give to other people because there are a lot of VPNs popping up that are taking advantage of this whole sort of enthusiasm and they're just nasty. They don't do any security. They're logging the crap out of stuff. They're probably selling your data. Like you don't want to get out of one small problem and jump into a much larger problem. So that's why I created this, you know, curated list of VPN options, all of which like you can't choose a bad one from the list. So I would just go and check it out. Aphorism for this week, to be prepared against surprise is to be trained. To be trained for surprise is to be educated. James Carse. To be prepared against surprise is to be trained. To be trained for surprise is to be educated. James Carse. All right. Sorry this one went long. Maybe that's a good thing. Hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. 
And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.